Love that song. It's become one of my new favorites. And I uh, asked Jackson if he could sing it or lead us in worship with it this morning, particularly because of where we're focusing on this morning. Um, that line, you know, I am yours forever. And Jesus, you're mine. Uh, belonging to God and being claimed by God. And what an incredible promise. Uh, as we walk through our series on Joshua, we're still in chapter 1. If you have your, your scriptures with you, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to be focusing on uh, basically three verses this morning, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. And as we continue our walk through this promise and, and understanding what God has laid before us and the challenge He's placed before us. But uh, this morning we're going to be focusing on the promise of guarantees. Back in uh, Super Bowl three, the New York Jets faced off against the Indianapolis Colts. And no one was giving the New York Jets a shot. The Indianapolis Colts were the powerhouse along with the Packers at the time. And so everyone thought once the New York Jets and the Colts kicked off, the, the, the Colts would just run away with the game. But like today, reporters kept asking questions and keep wanting to do interviews. And the particular quarterback of the New York Jets at that, at that time was a man by the name of Joe Namath. And if you're familiar with Joe Namath, you know he was quite flamboyant. And uh, Broadway Joe sometimes is called. He liked his fur coats and stuff like that. And, and no one really took Joe seriously, even though they knew he had the talent to play in the football league that was going on in that day. But they kept asking Joe if he thought that his team, the Jets, had a chance, if they had, could even stay in the game and compete with the Indianapolis Colts. And throughout the week, Joe kept saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to win this game. We're going to play this game, and we're going to win. We're going to give our very best, and I believe we're going to come out with a win. Well, a couple days before the actual game would kick off, Joe was holding yet another press conference, and they asked him a question again about the game. In the midst of during to answer the question, a reporter in the room yelled out that the Jets are going to get their booties handed to them. And that's the church way of saying what he actually said. And in that moment, Joe Cool lost his cool, and he yelled back at the reporter, said, look here, I guarantee we're going to win this game. He had been saying that leading up to the game already, but for some reason in that moment with the atmosphere the way it was, that guarantee made the headlines the next day. Joe Namath guarantees a win. Joe in an interview said it wasn't until he was standing on the sidelines and getting ready to kick off in the Super Bowl that the weight of the words that he said and where he was in that moment actually started to fall upon him and he realized the guarantee that he gave. But what happened is the New York Jets pretty much walloped the Indianapolis Colts and Joe's guarantee became NFL lore. But I mean, we don't really expect players or coaches when asked if you think you're going to win for them to say the opposite. We'd probably be a little hesitant or not become their fan anymore if someone said, well, you know, I hope we win, but we'll probably lose. But Joe guaranteed it. There's things in life that we want guarantees. You know, you may have a favorite team and you want the guarantee that they're going to win or they're going to compete. You have things in your life just today that you have rested upon a guarantee that it was going to happen. We love guarantees because they make us secure. You know, we don't begin a relationship 
with the thought that that relationship will be over in days or weeks or months. We don't enter into marriage with the idea that it could be over in years. And yet, statistically, that's what happens. We don't start a job expecting us in a matter of years to be unemployed. Yet, that happens. You have had guarantees this morning. You've walked out to your vehicle. You've placed a little silver thing in the, in the slot or you've pushed a button and you had the guarantee in your head that the car will start. But how many of us, the exact opposite has happened where the car has not started? We haven't had that guarantee. Some of us have turned on the heater already uh, since the weather has changed. And, and you had that belief, that guaranteed promise that the heater would in fact kick on and warm up your house. But how many times have we had the exact opposite happen where the heater doesn't kick on or it's cold or we forgot to fill the propane tank? Maybe with the AC, the same thing. Some of us. This afternoon, we're going to find our spot on our afternoon couch or chair, prepare for our Sunday nap, and we're going to pick up a little black thing and point it at a black thing on the wall and hope and guarantee that the button will turn on that beautiful TV and we will fall into a nice deep slumber and we'll dream Sunday afternoon away. But sometimes you turn on the TV and the cable doesn't work. Sometimes you try to stream something off the internet and the internet is down. And so... We have that unfulfilled desire where a guarantee to not live up to its expectations. It makes us feel insecure. There's a church joke that the way we try to make sure we have guarantees is we build routines. There's things we routinely do. For example, many except for, you know, this row right here. Typically, you all sit in the same spot. Right? You have, assigned, you have assigned yourself a section within this worship center. And so when I'm up here and I look around and the worship team's up here and they look around, we can spot who's here and who's not. And I appreciate that. I don't know why you do it. And it goes beyond this. So if you come in and your spot may have been taken or your section, I guarantee many of you park in the same general area out in the parking lot, don't you? I mean, you, it's, it's either over on the side or out on the, it's somewhere in the same general area that you park because we like our routine. You have a morning routine that you do every day before you go to work. And when the kids kind of disrupt that routine as parents, it becomes a blessing, doesn't it? See, we have guarantees that we have in our mind, but the reality of life is there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. And so when we come across a lack of guarantee, we run into what is called disappointment. And all of us here this morning have desired guarantees in our life and have met disappointment. That's life. But as we go into the passages this morning, I want us to see four guarantees Four guarantees that God gives us that we can take to the bank every single time, every single moment, in every situation. Let's begin in Joshua chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. The Lord is speaking, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites of the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. 
The first guarantee I want us to see that we have in this life, this promise from God that does not change. God gave it to Joshua and the Israelites and he gives it to us as well, is the guaranteed promise of victory. Look there in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. The book of Joshua is bookmarked by death. It begins with the death of Moses. It ends in the death of Joshua. The book of Joshua also contains an unfulfilled campaign in taking the promised land and driving the people out. The book of Joshua is, in fact, a book of disappointment. Yet in the beginning of this book and reiterated throughout the book is the promise of the Lord that victory will come upon His people. This promise is bigger than just this verse gives us if we just dive into a little understanding who Joshua was and the Israelites were. As we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Joshua was getting ready to lead a non-military trained group of people into a land that had fortified cities, they had armies, and they had kings. And if you look at the odds on paper, the odds were not in favor of Joshua or the Israelites to have success. But the Lord comes to Joshua in this moment and he tells him that I will give you the victory because I have promised it. David understood this when he went to face Goliath. The odds were against him and David's cry was the battle belongs to the Lord. See, this victory wasn't relying upon Joshua or what the Israelites could do. And here's what we need to take about this. The victory is not reliant upon us. It's out of Joshua's power. It's out of his ability. And though the battle belongs to the Lord because the power comes from the Lord. Even if we look out and what we face in life and it seems overwhelming, we need to realize this promise that God speaks. God has fought for our victory. And by our faith, we have obtained the victory. And now in our faith, we can live the victory. There's a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where there's a gentleman by the name of King Jehoshaphat, and he's surrounded by this invading army. And as he looks out and sees this world just collapsing, everything that he thought was guaranteed begins to fall apart. The Lord sends an individual to King Jehoshaphat to declare this. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. When it comes to the guaranteed promise of victory, what we need to understand is the battles we face, whether they're physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, or relational, we need to understand that we serve a God and we are loved by a God who does not stand idly by. Our God does not throw us into the valley of the shadow of death and give us a pat on the butt or a pat on the back and say, best of luck to you. The Bible tells us that our God surrounds us. He hymns us in. Our God stands in our place. Our God goes to the battle for us. He looks at us as his children and says, I've got this. This is clearly seen when we look to the cross. It was our sin and our death which God took on. It was the cross which was our shame and actually our cross which Jesus Christ suffered on. It's why we call Jesus the atoning sacrifice because He atoned for our sins. He became our substitute in a battle against sin and death that we could not win. And He took it on and won the victory for us and gave it to us. 
This is why the Bible declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is law, is, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about last week that in moving into the promise, God has to come into our life and has to remove things sometimes that are keeping us from being where He wants us to be. And so this week, when we look into the Word of God, we see as God is removing these things from our life, and maybe you've been battling that this week, God comes in to speak victory over us. This was not going to be relying upon Joshua or the Israelites. It was not about their abilities. It was not about their power. It was not about the words that they could say that would lead them to victory. It was the Word of God, and it was the faith that Joshua and the Israelites would place their faith in the Word of God. And so whatever battles we're facing today, we have the same promise of complete victory that the inerrant, perfect Word of God leads us there. And it's by our faith that we find it. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Jesus promised in Scripture that we would have troubles, we would have tribulation, but in the midst of that, He gives this promise as well, that I have overcome the world. As Joshua and Israel set out on this impossible task, they have the proclamation of God's victory over them. And so we as God's people, what we need to do is start living in the victory that God has already won us, instead of the defeat that Satan tries to keep us in. We're all marching towards the victory parade of Revelation. And even though Joshua begins with death, of Moses and ends with the death of Joshua, their deaths did not nullify, override, or overpower God's proclamation of victory. Here's something we need to take as we go out today. God has stacked the deck in our favor because He is for us, not against us. And I think all too often we forget and we actually think Satan, our enemy, is just as powerful as our God when He's not. The second guarantee that God gives us in Scripture is the guaranteed promise of the gift. The Lord not only declared the victory, but He declared the taking of the land was not by anything Joshua or Israelites were able to do. Instead, it was a promise based upon His Word. Verse 3 says, I have given to you just as I have promised Moses. The land was not because, the Josh, because Joshua or the Israelites were finally righteous. God was not giving it to them for that reason. The land was not given to them because they finally had it all figured out or they were always going to do from that point on exactly what God said. If you read on in Joshua, we see it immediately after the fall of Jericho that the Israelites met a group of people called I where they met defeat because they did not obey the word of the Lord. It was shortly after the, the event with the people of I. The Israelites made a treaty with another group that lived in the land which God told them not to do. See, God was not proclaiming the victory or giving the gift of the land to the people of Israel because they had all, all figured out and when did it all right from here on out. They still sinned. They still continuously disobeyed the word of God. Yet at the same time, what we see about this incredible gift, it is not dependent upon us because it is God's gift. It's not about what we bring to the table that God gives this was a promise that God spoke to Abraham and his descendants long before Joshua and the Israelites stepped foot on the earth. And it's the same promise that God gives to us today. 
It's not about what we do. It's not about what we think we can do. It's not about us trying to work for it, earn it, or maintain it. God says it is a gift, and he has declared the guarantee of that gift to us through his son, Jesus Christ. It was a gift before we even knew sin existed. Jesus was ready to come and step into our place and give us the victory. The Bible says in the Gospel of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the book of Colossians, the Bible says that He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. Here in Joshua, the, he and the Israelites were guaranteed the gift of the promised land, not by anything they could do, but simply by their faith in the Word of God. And it's the same promise we get today with the kingdom, that God gives it as a gift. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's for this reason that we stand in the victory and we ring out the victory shout because God has spoken over us. If I am for you, who can be against you? It's what led Paul to write by the power of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor authorities nor, nor things to present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our salvation is a gift. One of the most famous verses when it comes to speaking of salvation is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He did what? He gave. It was a gift. Not based upon my merit, not based upon your merit, not based upon anything we would do after we accepted that gift. That we would accept it as a gift and then we would allow that gift to move us to living a life of faith. That's what God is declaring to these people here in Joshua this morning. The third thing we see about the guarantees, the guaranteed promise of God's faithfulness. The Lord declared to Joshua in verse 4, From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Joshua and the Israelites, they would stumble. They would disobey. They would sin. They would do things they knew they shouldn't do. But through the Israelites, God would declare His faithfulness upon His creation. And despite their sin, despite their turning away from God, despite their running after false gods, what we see throughout Scripture from Old Testament to New is God is faithful. So despite whatever you're going through in this moment, whatever battle you're finding yourself in, whatever situation you know that God, that your heart is hardening to and not allowing God access to that point, you need to understand no matter how much you disobey God, no matter how much you turn from God, no matter how mad you get at God, God can do, be nothing but faithful to you. That's all He can be. Because he loves you and he loves me. That's his gift. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. 
What this means for us about the promise of and guarantee of God's faithfulness over our life is no matter how large or how bad we think we may have sinned, it does not have the power to make God's love for us idle, obsolete, inactive, or inefficient. At this moment in, in Joshua chapter 1, God knew the Israelites would stumble, just like God knew that you and I would stumble after we accepted His gift of salvation. Yet God still sent His Son to save us. Why? Because God is faithful to His Word and His promise. The promise that God made from the beginning of time and it reiterates throughout all Scripture. It began with Adam, it continued with Noah, it fell upon Abraham, was declared to Moses, was delivered to David, and is epitomized in Jesus Christ. Finally, we see that the guaranteed promise of God's presence Verse 5 of Joshua says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua and Israelites were getting ready to step out on faith. They were getting ready to march into uncharted territory. Matter of fact, Joshua is the only one that we know of for sure that has actually been into the land at this point in time. He is the only one that has even had a glimpse of what these people are about ready to face. And yet, they have to step out in faith. They have to go where they've never been. And so God comes to them and promises His presence will continually be with them. He was not sending them in, and He was going to wait and see what happens. But so the people of God would understand that the presence was upon them. He has to remind them numerous times here in chapter 1 that you need to be strong and courageous. Again, it's not about your presence. It's not about what you're going to do. I have already won this battle for you, and I am going with you in this. You just have to trust me. The Bible tells us that our life in Christ isn't going to be easy. No matter where we find ourselves in the midst of this journey, one thing we are promised is God's continual presence upon our life as His children. It's the same promise that Jesus Christ declared to His disciples before He ascended into the heavens. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. As Joshua and Israelites have to step out and live in the promise, in the plan, in the word, in the will of God by faith, they did it understanding that God was going with them, in front of them, behind them, and around them. His continual presence would be upon them. And it's that continual presence which God sends them in so all the people that were already there could look at the way the Israelites were living and understand that He is the one true God. It's the same thing for us today, that we go out into a world that is opposed to God by the way we live our life, by the way we love God, by the way we serve God. The people of this world will look upon us and know that He is the one true God because His presence is, is resting upon us. His Spirit is dwelling inside of us. But we live in a day of uncertainty. I pray your car starts when you're ready to leave here in a little bit. I pray the TV turns on and you have a wonderful, glorious nap that hopefully hasn't started yet. But we live in a world of uncertainty. Something will happen today, tomorrow, this week, that is going to throw you off. It's going to show you that this life has no guarantees. This world will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. But God comes to speak the promise of His perfect word, word, word to which we can rely upon. 
The promises of God is nothing, is something the world cannot give us, nor the world can take away. Because He has sealed it into eternity. But as we go out this morning, we need to take a lesson from the psalmist, David, a man after God's own heart. He went out into a world of uncertainty and he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not a happy place, people. The shadow of death. It's a reminder that death is all around you. Yet in that moment, he understood that God had already placed a victory over him and his presence was with him and God would be faithful. So he says this, I, in the midst of this horrible situation, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. He does not say because of what I can do. He does not say it's about my charisma, about my resume. It's because God is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It may be hard to see or even feel. That's why the Bible teaches we aren't to rely upon what we can see physically or feel emotionally, but we are to live by faith to put our faith and our trust in the Word of God and what He promises and guarantees us as we go about this life and closer to His kingdom. This is the only force in life that will not disappoint us, the Word of God, because it comes from His mouth. There's one more guarantee that we all need to be aware of, and that's the bookend of Joshua. The death of Moses and the death of Joshua. Death is always surprising. Even though we know it's there, even though we know it exists, it always surprises us. And I can imagine, even though Joshua knew Moses would die someday, when he actually did, it shocked him. And it shocked the Israelites. God has to give the Israelites 30 days just to mourn over the passing of Moses. Death shocks us. But death also points to a guarantee that's going to happen in life. That every single person, unless Jesus Christ comes back, is going to die. And the Bible tells us the reason this is because every single person in this room and on this planet is a sinner. The Bible says all of us have sin. All of us fall short of God's glory, God's holiness. All of us disappoint. All of us lack perfection. The Bible tells us that the cost of this sin, the price of this sin is death. And so as we are surrounded by death in this world, we've all experienced that disappointment of a lack of guarantee of long life. That death reminds us that we are all sinners. And unless that sin is taken care of, we will die in our sin and be eternally separated from the God who loves us and is for us and declares victory over us. The Bible says the cost of that sin is death. Separation from God. But the gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God comes and declares through His Word that He loves you so much that He gave His only Son. God went all in for you and for me. That whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. You may be here this morning and you've seen our, our, our little ones, our young ones, I won't call them little, our youngins, make this declaration of faith and wondering what in the world does that mean? What they're saying to all of us here this morning is they believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and He was placed in a tomb. Hence, they went under the water. But He did not stay in that tomb, for the Bible declares that three days later He rose from the grave. And so they came out of the water. 
And the Bible says when I place my faith in that, not about who I am or how good I can be or what I bring to the table, when I place my faith in the complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection, and I believe that in my heart and I let it be known with my mouth, the Bible says I will be saved from my sin. So death may still come, but the reality is death will not be the end if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This may be the victory you need to accept this morning. And here it is again. It is a gift. It's a gift. If you're here this morning and you have to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come down as Jackson's going to come up and lead us. Just to say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the midst of the battle and God has spoken His word to you that you're relying upon other things to be your guarantees and you need to turn your focus back on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You used to come before the Father and repent. Tell Him you're sorry. I don't know where you are, but I know God's Word is true. And now's the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for loving us and saving us in Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, thank You for the gift that You've declared into eternity. And it's by accepting that gift, Lord, Your Word says that we become justified. Lord, thank You. We don't deserve that. It is complete mercy, complete grace. Well, I pray for the individuals here this morning who have yet to accept that gift. That you would give them the courage to step out of the aisle and to walk down and, and declare it to my ears, declare it to your throne room that they believe and they want to be saved. They want to be forgiven of their sins. Father, you know all of us in this place stumble at times. You know we fall short. We do things we shouldn't do. We wander away like sheep. But Father, I thank you that you are not only our shepherd, but you are the good shepherd who knows us. So we come to this place as you've spoken to our hearts and we know your voice and you're moving us to respond in a certain way. Lord, let us be faithful to what you've placed upon us. Let us trust you in this moment. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the midst of a battle. Lord, that your promises, your guarantees just speak into their hearts and give them the strength and the cry of victory as they go and face those things. Thank you, Lord, that you go with us. But I left this time in response to a time that is worthy of your name. We praise all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand. I invite you to come.